0: And finally, turning in our Bibles to the story of Acts, so chapter number 13 of Acts. So in our, in our Bibles we have the New Testament, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and then there is this book called the Acts. Uh, whose Acts are they again? Sure, they're the Acts of the Apostles, but how are they the, the Acts of the Apostles? I mean, who, who are they to do these things? So, yeah, we've been saying that these are the acts of the ascended Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. So, yes, it's true to say these are the acts of the apostles, but how? Uh, by the risen Christ, by his power to send the Holy Spirit. So these are the acts of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, by the, or by the Holy Spirit through the hands uh, and mouths of the apostles. And so chapter 13, where we left off a couple of Sundays ago, uh, had that thing called Easter that got in the way, so want to come back? Uh, Acts 13, Uh, we're going to look, let's just pick up where we left off, uh, or go back to where we were, Uh, 13, verse 1, we're going to read down just to verse 12, Uh, we're going to focus though on verse 4 and following, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And then picking up where we left off. So, verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist him. When they had gone to the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Pollux, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Alemus, the magician for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, the first time we learned that, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And the proconsul Sergius Paulus, believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And loved ones, all of these words, all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. May the Holy Spirit guide us this morning and help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ here and to see his power at work amongst the apostles, but also uh, in the same way to see that same power and work amongst us. There's a sermon notes page in the bulletin, uh, you can probably see that already, that helps you to uh, take notes uh, to follow along as well. Uh, there's some uh, notes for kids, that's also a separate little sheet that was out on the table if you want to grab one of those. If you haven't, feel free to do that uh, as well. Uh, So we're back here in Acts, um, and we remember, as I mentioned, that these are the Acts of Jesus Christ, the ascended, risen, ascended Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the hands and the mouths the lives of the apostles uh, and their assistants and others, men like Mark here, John Mark. Uh, But we've also uh, been focusing as well, uh, been trying to point out, maybe it's been a bit, so I want to remind us, uh, that the high point of the book of Acts came in chapter 2. We know that story, right? What's the high point of the book of Acts? What's the big, the big grand sort of finale, if you will, the the grand opening uh, in chapter 2? I know it's gloomy outside. I know it's gloomy outside. Okay, it's not very sunny today. We're kind of, we're kind of down, but what was that? The Holy Spirit, okay? Uh, The day of Pentecost. And so we've been focusing our hearts, seeing how uh, how Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to the church. He baptized the church, as the prophet said he would. And so the church is then uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is in us, or it's in the church. It's in the people of God. The Spirit's among the people of God. The Spirit works for the people of God. And so that day of Pentecost was a very momentous day in the life of the church, Uh, It's a a once and for all fulfillment of prophecy, just as once and for all as the resurrection, uh, as the death of Jesus, as the incarnation of Jesus, as the second coming of Jesus. It's a once and for all act of God fulfilling his promises. But just like the incarnation, the death of Christ, the resurrection, the day of Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit has ongoing blessing, doesn't it? Ongoing benefits to us we'll even see that in the very end of the book, chapter 28. It ends with the apostle wanting to continue on in his mission uh, to go not just to Rome, but to go even and to sail unto uh, Spain. And so the church's work is not finished until the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Now that day of Pentecost was the day in which the church was baptized. And so rightly speaking, we can call the church of Jesus Christ the Pentecostal church or a Pentecostal church. And I've said sort of tongue-in-cheek, but I really mean it, that uh, we too uh, are a Pentecostal church. We, we, we believe that, I think. Uh, I, I mentioned that uh, way back when, but just remind us that we as spirit-filled Christians who gather together as a local manifestation of the kingdom of God, we are a Pentecostal church. The Spirit of God's amongst us, and we, and we see that here as well uh, in Acts chapter 13. So I mention that because we come to another story here, uh, and this story is uh, the beginning of what's called the first missionary journey of Paul. And you have Barnabas, his his uh, assistant, and then they have an assistant, uh, John, Mark, and Barnabas and Saul, uh, Barnabas and John are going to separate off here very soon, uh, and then Paul's going to take along uh, Silas and eventually Timothy uh, as his helpers. And the church then spreading, the gospel is going. We saw that in chapter 13, two Sundays ago, where the church in Antioch is praying. Their burden, their desire, their heart was to send the gospel uh, not just to Jews but also to Gentiles. And so they prayed and they they asked God to help them and direct them to that end. And the Spirit then spoke and set apart Paul or Saul uh, and Barnabas and they laid hands and the church sent them off. That's where we left off. We pick up with them being sent by the Spirit. Notice then, first of all here, Uh, that language of sent out by the Holy Spirit, verse 4. Sent out by the Holy Spirit. So if you look at verse 3 and look at verse 4, you should see something very, very interesting. Who's doing the sending? Who sends Paul and Barnabas, according to verse 3? The church, verse 3, right? They, They, after fasting and praying, they, the church in Antioch, with those prophets and teachers, they, they, uh, they, they laid their hands on them, Saul and Barnabas, and sent them off. The senders are the church, or is the church in Antioch. Now, this, this word here, send, these are two different words, though, verse, verse 3 and 4. They're, they're different words, they have similar, similar uh, semantic range, similar, similar uh, meaning and sense, but there's a little, little uh, shade of difference here. The Church in Antioch sent them off. Now, this word that's used there, it can uh, it's used in ancient literature to release, Daxon's gonna like this, a fish from a hook. Okay, for those of you who like fishing, to release a fish off of a hook. So some fish you catch and you're gonna eat, some you're gonna send back. So to release a fish from off of a hook, it's used in that sense. Uh, in ancient Greek literature, uh, it can be used in the sense of untying the the plow from the back of an or the neck of an ox, so to release or to untie. Uh, it's also used in ancient literature to uh, to disband or to dismiss soldiers from an army or people from an assembly. So we have here that they're sent off, right? They're released, uh, as it were. They're untied. They're no longer bound to that church in Antioch. Uh, they're dismissed and sent to do something. That's verse 3. Verse 4, though, interestingly says so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Sent by the church in verse 3, sent by the Holy Spirit in verse 4. Well, there you go. The Bible contradicts itself. That's why it's not inspired. People say, right? You know, just another example of all these contradictions, all these, you know, mis- miswritings, and, you know, these false uh, people who believe that the Holy Spirit, that God was leading them. What are we seeing here? Well, again, this, this word has some interesting shades of meaning uh, as it was used in ancient literature. Uh, it, could, it could be used uh, at times uh, in the sense of causing someone to go away from their house or from their city or their country, so to cause them to do that. Uh, it's also used in uh, ancient literature of escorting or taking uh, away people out of uh, harm from a battle. So to escort, right? To, to take someone away. Uh, to send someone to perform a task. And what's interesting is the, uh, the way in which uh, uh, Greek uh, verbs uh, are spoken and written. Uh, they have all kinds of parts to them. And so this this particular verb is in the passive voice. And when this verb was used in the passive voice in ancient literature, uh, it was typically uh, being used of an ambassador who was being sent out or dispatched by a king to perform some kingly task, to represent the king to some other king or to some other region, to some other people. So, We see something about here, interestingly. We have here the Apostles, uh, the Apostle Paul or Saul, and we have his assistant Barnabas who are sent out. They are being sent out as ambassadors of the risen King Jesus Christ to represent Christ to the world as ambassadors. Notice also here that they are, as they are sent out with the Holy Spirit, I'll come back to the, you know, why did it say the church sent and the Spirit sent? Well, notice also, notice you see there just a bit of the geography here. They they go from the church in Antioch and they travel about 15 miles uh, to Seleucia. There are a couple of different Seleucias. This is a, a particular one. Uh, this is the port of Antioch. It's about 15 miles away. Then they travel by boat about 60 more miles to the west, to uh, the island of Cyprus. And they, and they come to the, uh, to the easternmost city of Cyprus, Salamis, uh, on that east coast. And there had been some synagogues there uh, for generations. Then they travel. They traverse the entire island of Cyprus. To come to the far western point of Cyprus, which is where the capital city was, this city called Paphos. So we have this little sort of travel log, this little, uh, this little uh, uh, Rick Steves you know, travel, travel diary, right? Telling you where Saul and Barnabas went. But the thing that we learn here is this, that seeing the spirits at work in the book of Acts, is not just in the sensational, but in the simple. They're sent out by the Holy Spirit as ambassadors of the King, Jesus. But we see that sending, we see that leading of the Spirit, we see the guidance of the Holy Spirit, not just on days like Pentecost, when sensational, miraculous things happened, People spoke in languages that they did not know. And people heard the wonderful works of God in their own languages, and they were converted on the spot. But we also see the leading of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, in the simple. Paul and Barnabas traveled from Antioch. They traveled to Seleucia. They traveled to Salamis. They traveled to the whole island. They traveled to Paphos. That's just as much the leading of the Holy Spirit as we'll see later on where the Holy Spirit tells Saul that you're not to go up into this particular region. And then he has a vision of a man from Macedonia calling him to come. So we as Christians need to see the Spirit working not just in the sensational, but in the simple. In other words, we sometimes talk as Christians of having uh, having an eternal perspective on life. We talk about the leading of the Holy Spirit. We talk about the presence of God being with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. And that's not just in big things or sensational things, but in the average mundane things. How do I know where to go, pastor? How do I know about this job? Or how do I know where to go to school? How do I know for our seminary students? You know, well, How do I know what church I'm going to end up at? Well, you, you can wait for the writing in the sky. You can wait for that still, small voice. You can wait for someone to come up and sort of like a prophet. Chris had a little prophetical slip there. Called me president, hide almost. Um, I can either confirm or deny I'm running. But, um, but it's in the simple stuff. Well, where do you like to live? How are you going to be able to provide for yourself there? What's it like? What are these people like? And so forth. In those mundane, ordinary things as well, we we see the leading and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you see that here, verse 3 and 4. Saul and Barnabas are praying, and there are these prophets and these teachers, and the Spirit speaks somehow, I said two Sundays ago, and they send them off. The church sends them off. But then verse 4 says that it was the Holy Spirit who sent them. In other words, what we're being taught is this, this this idea of not just in sensational things, but in simple things. That the Holy Spirit sent Saul and Barnabas, how? By means of the church. On the one hand, the Spirit speaks, set us apart, Saul and Barnabas. On the other hand, it was the church that sent them. They laid their, their dirty little hands on their heads and they prayed simple prayers, fallible human feeble prayers, and they gave them some money, and they took some food, and they packed the backpack, they put on some sandals, and they got onto a rickety boat, and they traveled, and they trusted God. Just like the people of God in the ancient wilderness who were led by the Holy Spirit, led by God, led by the pillar of cloud and fire, in the same way that we are led as well every single day, not just in sensational ways, but in mundane ways, in simple ways, in basic ways. And so the Holy Spirit sends them through the means of the church. The Holy Spirit leads us and sends us by means of ordinary things. And so they were led, and they were guided. We can, uh, we can again, think of that in terms of the, the biblical idea of The leading of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 talks about those who are led by the Spirit. Those who walk according to the Spirit, not according to their flesh. All that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. The Spirit who dwells in us. The Spirit who's transformed our minds. Well, what does it mean to be led by the Holy Spirit? Well, it means to pray, which is not to to make decisions based on your own wisdom, but to pray and ask for God's help. To consult the word, does God say anything about this? To use the principles of wisdom that God's given to us in the word, using our minds, using our rationality, uh, using the experiences of others, and then making a decision and trusting that God is going to bless that. The leading of the Holy Spirit, we see that here. And there are times where God can work in uh, in very sensational ways, aren't there? Because God is God. The same way God also just as equally leads and guides and speaks and moves and helps and assists and makes and gives us direction through these mundane ways as well. Whether it's the church, whether it's decision making, using our minds, praying, asking for wisdom, making a decision and going with it. So we see that here. They're sent out by the church, verse 3. They're sent out by the Holy Spirit, verse 4. And they're sent, notice, to Salamis uh, and the whole island. They're sent there to Cyprus, verse 5 and 6. There's a little quick, just a quick little summary of that. Notice that. Quick little summary of that. Uh, and when they arrived at Salamis, we read, so no, and just notice that, that's no less being sent by the Holy Spirit. It just tells us, a matter of fact, you know, when they arrived there, well, how did they arrive there? On a boat, they, how did the boat get there? It had a it had a, a captain. It had a sailor. There was wind that got them there. There was a rudder that had to direct them. Sixty miles is kind of a long way. So no doubt they had sort of a uh, they had a chart, probably based on geography or based on the stars. They knew which way to go and how to get there. They used all that stuff, which was no less the Holy Spirit. So when they arrived at Salamis, no less than. When the Spirit said, Set them apart and send them out, and so forth. They proclaim the Word of God, we read, in the synagogues. And this is the pattern of the Apostle Paul, that when he goes on his missionaries, he first of all preaches the gospel to the, to the Jews in synagogues, and then he goes to the Greeks or to the Gentiles. We read of that in Romans chapter 1, where the Apostle says that the gospel is for everyone. And the way he describes it is saying it's so for the Jew first, and then also to the Greek, right, the Gentile. For the Jew first, also the Gentile, because the gospel comes. Jesus comes from the Jews. He is a Jewish man. He's the Jewish Messiah. And from them comes salvation to the world, like to us. And they preach the word of God there, notice. They're not proclaiming themselves. They're proclaiming the word of God. The word of God in the synagogues. And that would have been the Old Testament. Reading the Old Testament prophecies, the scriptures, the scrolls, explaining their significance in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I said on Easter Sunday last, last week that it's with Jesus, it's all or nothing. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. Do you believe that? They're proclaiming the Word of God. Whatever the Word of God said whatever it still says. It's all or nothing with Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 15. That's what Paul says later on. It's all or nothing. He either rose again or he didn't. If he did, everything he said was true. If he didn't, everything he said, and everything that we say, as Paul says, and we say today, is false. It's all or nothing. There's no no middle ground. There was something, Danny Miranda mentioned, there was a, a person who did walk in last Sunday. I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a person who walked in last Sunday and was standing in the doorway and, uh, and uh, told, told him apparently that she was here just to, quote, just to get a little Jesus. To get a little bit of Jesus on Easter Sunday. Now, thankfully, while it was happening, Danny was playing and Kim was singing, Christ is risen from the dead. Singing the gospel. But there's all, it's all or nothing with Christ. There's no, there's, there's no just a little bit of Jesus when it comes to the Christian faith. You can't just have a little sprinkling of Christ like some salt on your life. To give you just a little bit, it's all or nothing with him. They were preaching the words. They were unashamedly explaining from the Old Testament that Jesus is Messiah. He is Savior. Proclaiming that whole counsel of God, the Old Testament, and, and as they, as New Testament apostles, that how it's fulfilled in Christ, the law of the gospel, the bad news, the good news, the feel good parts, the bad parts. Ezekiel 12. Everything pre- proclaiming the Word of God. So they were sent by the church, sent by the Holy Spirit, to this island, to this city. The first thing they do is they find a synagogue to begin to preach, to begin to explain from the Old Testament. Now, it's not exactly the same for us, but the principle applies, that we are to speak, not just as a church, but even as believers, the whole counsel of God, the Word of God. When someone asks what we believe, not to be shy, not to be afraid, not to be worried, what are they going to think about me? but to proclaim the word of God. On Good Friday, I mentioned, I mentioned that uh, the idea in our country has always been that it's the individual who has ultimate liberty to define and decide for him or herself what is right or wrong, Our identity depends upon us, depends on our own ideology, it depends on our feelings, depends on a lot of things, but it depends on me, my particular perception of myself. I, right? It's all about me. And that's the, that's the American spirit. The gospel says otherwise. God is the one who identifies us. God is the one who speaks in his word of ultimate realities. Our culture, of course, takes that and runs with it, and uh, it's led to all kinds of ideas, very individualistic ideas of, of reality. Marriage is a temporary contract, as long as you're, quote, in love with that person. No fault divorces. And later on, of course, more and more in, uh, in our society in the last century, more and more, uh, not just between men and women, Marriage can be a coming-and-going thing, but, of course, homosexual marriage. And now that's that's passe now. Now it's all about identifying yourself and, and becoming something that you're not. But that's okay. You can do that. It's all about you. It's whatever you perceive as reality and whatever you want to be, and you can create that ultimate reality. I read that quotation from the Supreme Court that's defined our entire generation. But here's Paul proclaiming the word. Here's Paul proclaiming the word. And all the pressures that are going to come upon us that already we feel, we have to resist. We have to proclaim the word. Speak the word. And so we see not just here this principle that the Spirit of God uh, not only works and leads and moves in sensational, but also in simple ways, but we see something else that we've got to learn to see the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, as I might say it uh, like this, in sermons, not just in sensation. The Word is what ought to guide us, not our feelings. In sermons, not sensation. We define reality as believers because of what God says, not how we feel, and not even how we feel about what God says. Again, it's all or nothing with Christ. You're for him, you're against him. There are sheep, there are goats. It's it's one way or the other. It's as simple as that. And that's what we see here in Saul and and Barnabas as they're sent out to the island of Cyprus. And they eventually get their way, notice verse 6, uh, to the very far end, the far, far west end, the capital city of Paphos, or Paphos uh, verse 6 and tw- uh, through 12. So notice the, the amount of, uh, of, of, of Luke's scroll that he uses to describe an entire journey across this island is just in a verse. And then it's focused upon this encounter at Paphos, the capital city of this uh, senate-governed province, uh, which was the center of a worship cult, uh, of the equivalent of Aphrodite, the ancient goddess Aphrodite. And we read there that they, as they're traveling, they came upon, and again notice, that's no less the guidance of the Holy Spirit than their initial being sent out by the Holy Spirit. There are no coincidences with God, in other words. They came upon this particular Magician, prophets, who is with the governor of the island. They just came upon, right? That's the power of the Holy Spirit leading them, guiding them. Again, the leading of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is not merely to be understood as sensational things, but simple things. There are no coincidences with God. Every encounter that you and I have with someone is one that's sent to us by God. We need to believe that. You don't need to wait for the writing in the sky, the still small voice, the powerful voice. No, believe that just coming upon this person, that person, is the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this man, this Bar-Jesus, as, as his name is, Bar-Yehoshua would have been his, uh, his Jewish name, the, the son of Joshua, the son of Jesus. He was a false prophet, notice. He is a magician, a sorcerer, a magos. Just the same word that's used for the magi, as we uh, call them from the gospel story of Jesus. And he's with this proconsul, the, 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 the governor who was appointed by the Senate of Rome to govern this island, Sergius Paulus. An intelligent man, we're told. And he summons Saul and Barnabas, notice, to hear the word of God. Now, we can see that part being the Holy Spirit. This Roman, Roman uh, Senate-appointed governor, he wants to hear the word of God. He wants to know what's going on in, on his island. He's heard the stories. He's heard the rumors. But again, just in the simple stuff, too, the leading of the Holy Spirit. But, notice, so you have the governor who wants to hear the word of God from the mouths of Barnabas and Saul. Verse 8, though, but... You can put it like this. Wherever Jesus, you've probably heard this before. Wherever Jesus builds a church, Satan builds what? Have you, heard, you, haven't, you haven't heard that saying before? Wherever Jesus builds a church, Satan builds a chapel. You haven't heard that before? Really? Paula Barton, I'm surprised. <laughs> Whenever Christ does something, the devil sets up shop next door. Across the street, he mimics, and he tries to do it himself. And in this case, he opposes. Christ is building his church on the island of Cyprus, and Satan stands opposed. This bar Jesus is also named Alimus. He is this magician, uh, this false prophet. He opposes them, Solomon, Barnabas, and John Mark. He's seeking to turn Sergius away from the faith. Notice that. That's what Satan wants. To turn believers or inquirers away from the faith. To faith in him, right? To trust in him. Trust in self, really. Just completely opposed to the gospel and as we are led by the Holy Spirit, and as we are guided by His Spirit, and as we speak His Word, and as we testify the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and as we seek to live a life that is different from the world around us, you are always going to be opposed. You are always going to be engaged in spiritual battle. You are always going to have conflicts. Newsflash, not everyone that you know and love and care for in your family at work, at school are going to like you because you're a Christian. And so they want to speak the word, and Sergius wants to hear that word. But this false prophet, this magician, stands opposed. He does not want them uh, to speak the word to the governor. He wants to lead him away from the faith. Spiritual battle, spiritual war, wherever the spirit is, There is the spirit of the devil. But Saul, we read. But Saul, we read verse number 9. And that wonderful phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit, rebukes, curses, speaks the word of God to bar Jesus, curses him, condemns him. Notice the difference. When they are speaking to one who is seeking and who is inquiring and who wants to hear the word of God, of course they speak it. And we know that they did because later on we read that the proconsul, verse 12, believed uh, because of what he saw, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Whenever the apostles speak to those who are interested, who are inquiring, whose hearts and minds are open, they speak that word. But when there is absolute 100% opposition, just like Jesus to the Pharisees, there's harshness, there's bluntness, there's straightforwardness to that. We need to know our, the people who are listening and who are hearing and who are asking. And the good minister, like the, I think it was John Calvin who said something like, the good minister knows the difference and uh, he, has, uh, the, he has the staff for the sheep and he has the rod for the wool." And so here's Paul, or Saul, speaking very harshly the law, the bad news, the condemnation of God. And this is true of anyone who stands opposed to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You, son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? He was full of the Holy Spirit when he said that. What does it mean that he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit, we've seen, is the sovereign God. He's the Lord and the giver of life. And his gifts, and his graces, and his works, and his power, they're not ours to use as we want as commodities. The Spirit is life. He comes and he goes as he wishes, Jesus said. He's like the wind. You cannot control the wind. This being filled with the Holy Spirit was not something that Paul manipulated or purchased. We've seen that already. We'll see more of that later. This is a genuine power of the Holy Spirit, a gift of God himself. What does it mean that he was filled? Notice, it's a supernatural confidence and a strength to speak the word, in this case, to an opposer and to an inquirer. A supernatural confidence and strength to speak the word. Notice it's a reliance on the Spirit's strength to do that, not Paul's own. One writer said it like this, this, that, that, that this being filled with the Holy Spirit, is, quote, an immediate and peculiar impulse, having special reference to this occasion. It is the power of God enabling us to speak with a particular person in mind, to speak to them in that moment, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with confidence, with strength, with reliance on the Spirit, not reliance on your wisdom. Matthew Henry described being filled with the Holy Spirit like this. And I might add, Matthew Henry is one of those frozen, chosen Calvinists. This is no Pentecostal speaking, uh, as we understand Pentecostals, but a true Pentecostal, as I might say, one who knew the, the Lord and who knew his word. To be, filled the holy, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is this, to be filled with a holy zeal against a professed enemy of Christ which was one of the graces of the the Holy Ghost, a spirit of burning. The Old Testament describes it like that. To be filled with power, to denounce the wrath of God against him, which was one of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, a spirit of judgment. And then here's what he says. He, Saul, felt more than ordinary fervor in his mind. What Paul said did not come from any personal resentments towards Alemus bar Jesus but from the strong impressions which the Holy Ghost made upon his spirit. It is to have the word of God, and in a context where there's a person who's opposing that word of God, to be able with confidence and strength and reliance on him to speak. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit in this context. And so full of the Holy Spirit, so confident, so so strong, so reliant on the Holy Spirit, he speaks, and what happens in verse twelve? The proconsul believes. The governor of the Roman island of Cyprus, the Senate's man believes. He believes. Just like I mentioned. The idea of being led by the Spirit is seeing the Spirit in sermons, not sensation. The same thing here. We know that Paul was led by the Holy Spirit. We know that he was filled with the the Holy Spirit uh, because he speaks the word. Notice, and it's the word that so impresses Sergius Paula. That the Word was made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit in that context at that moment. There's no divorce. There's no disjunction. There's no divide between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It's when the Word of God is spoken that the Holy Spirit works in power and in grace. And so here's Paul and Barnabas and their helper John Mark who are sent by the Holy Spirit, who are led by the Holy Spirit, who are following the Holy Spirit's lead and they are going out uh, and they are trusting the Lord's guidance in their travels and they are trusting the Lord's word in their proclamation and the Spirit is using it all to the glory of Jesus Christ to build his church in those early days. And so let's also as believers, as a congregation. Let's follow the Holy Spirit's lead. Well, how can we do that? How can we do that? First of all, by living in conscious awareness that simple things that come about in our lives are the Holy Spirit's leading. Living in the conscious awareness that the simple things that we read about here, you know, they just happen to come to this particular place, right? The simple things of our lives are the guidance and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so living with that eternal perspective in mind. Trusting that God is using me in this particular situation. Whatever it might be, wherever it might be. Live in that conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence guiding you and leading you. And then secondly, let's follow the Holy Spirit's lead by, again, living In the conscious awareness of the Word of God. The conscious awareness of the Word of God. What has God said to us in His Word? What does the Lord want me to believe? How does He want me to to express that to someone in need? And so let's live in conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence in our mundane. And let's live in the conscious awareness of what the Word of God has already said, uh, said to us and when we do that the word and spirit as they are conjoined they're brought together will guide us and direct us to bring the glory to God to bring salvation to sinners and to build up this church amen as I mentioned before and I'll close with this uh, there's, I, I don't know who said it first but, I, uh, but I've heard this said that uh, if we have the word without the spirit we dry up If we have the spirit without the words, we blow up. (laughs) But when we have the word with the spirit, we grow up. That's the kind of church that we want to be. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the word, for leading us and teaching us and guiding us through it. Help us, Lord, to live uh, this coming week in the awareness of your presence uh, that our daily steps are guided by you. And so use us, we pray, as the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And also, Lord, that we would be uh, aware of your words, that it would hide in our, reside in our hearts, uh, be upon our lips uh, with urgency. And so, Lord, use us, we pray, to do your bidding, to do your glory, uh, to, uh, to bring you glory, and to do your will. And we ask all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen. Let's take out our hymnal and sing again, uh, 412.